I know you've heard the saying, we're from the government and we're here to help. <laughs> this time we did. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sunny afternoon in 2012. People are gathered in front of a barn this for a land dedication. This is one of those political PR moments for the state of Tennessee, complete with a giant blue ribbon cutting. Although, sorry to disappoint, they didn't use giant scissors, just normal-sized ones. Various government officials stand at a podium, and the crowd listens seated on hay bales as someone explains just how they got this land. This arose from a uh, marijuana conspiracy case. So uh, as a result of that, these lands were forfeited as part of that criminal enterprise and its prosecution. That's how we got our hands on it to start with. In short, two men were busted for growing and distributing a substantial quantity of marijuana. They went to federal prison and their land was seized. And now a part of it is going to be a protected wildlife area. We're talking a sizable chunk, just under 1,000 acres of land. It's in Middle Tennessee, 90 minutes south of Nashville, a coveted and naturally diverse area known as Short Mountain. It's rich with wildlife, touting rare species like the Short Mountain crayfish. There are natural springs that supply water to neighboring towns, even Native American archaeological sites. And rather than be sold off and developed, this area will be protected for future generations to enjoy. Someday, some boy will come up here to Short Mountain and he'll walk in the creek. Uh, maybe he'll go hunting with his daddy or his uncles and he'll tramp across this good land and he'll feel blessed. And no one will know that we've been here, but they'll hear the land's good tidings. And like us, they'll be blessed by it. And so we're all so very thankful. I think that's a beautiful yet idealized sentiment. But there's an irony here. Because the kind of boy this woman's describing is just the kind of person they took this land from. A man named Jeffrey Young. To me, I was always a, like a free bird and loved the outdoors and never inside unless it was dark or something like that when I was tired and ready to go to bed. It was, it was, uh, it was rough on me, you know. It was, it was tough. Jeffrey grew up on this land and spent his lifetime buying up as much of it as he could. But during the government's dedication, Jeffrey was sitting in prison. He served over a decade. But recently, he was released. And now he's returned to his remaining acreage on Short Mountain. When you're at the bottom, there's no way but up. I'm Jacob Lewis, and from Nashville Public Radio, you're listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today's story is about a way of life put on trial. Jeffrey Young broke the law. There is no doubt about that. But to his community, he was a beloved and hardworking do-gooder, not hurting anyone. His lifestyle, which was making a living off the land and sharing what he could, it both put him in prison and may be just what saves him as he comes back out. Reporter Tony Gonzalez has been following Jeffrey's story for several years. And he and Jeffrey recently spent a day hiking on Short Mountain. By the time I was 18, I was uh, making moonshine was uh, my main agenda in life. And uh, you might not want to hear that. Do you want to hear it? I do want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just not so, every day that I spend time with someone like Jeffrey Young, the salt of the earth, a farmer, contractor, full of plain-spoken wisdom, and a guy who went to federal prison. That's how we made the news and how I first learned about him. 
But to understand just who Jeffrey is, you've got to understand two things. First, the land he was raised on. And second, the people who raised him. This land is wild and unintruded upon. It's the tallest scenic point around, and has long been a magnet for interesting people attracted to mountain living. On one side of the mountain, there's an off-the-grid farming commune for gay men, with solar-powered mud homes and epic rain collection systems. At the summit, there's a Bible camp. And there's always been interest from hunters and trail horse riders. This is the community where Jeffrey Young and generations of his family had come up, church going twice a week, tending farms, and taking on tough jobs. We was raised poor, and uh, we really didn't know we was poor. We always had plenty to eat and all that. And even in high school, I had two pair of pants. I wore one one day, one the next. It was embarrassing to me, you know, but, but they made sure we worked. By they, he means his family, specifically both of his grandfathers. He credits them for shaping his character, work ethic, and ideas of neighborliness. However, they were two very different men. On one side of the family, a grandfather who helped raise him had a 300-acre farm. And he just shook his head. He said, well, I'm going to show you how to make a living off the land. And if you're smart enough not to do it, more power to you. But if you don't ever get smart enough to do it, at least you'll know how to live. That's what I won't ever forget him telling me that. Before dawn, Jeffrey fed the animals, milked the cows, and cooked breakfast before catching the bus to school. On the other side of the family, he learned a similar diligence, but in a very different trade. You know, that, that was my goal. When I got to be 18, I wanted to be like my Grandpa Young. You know, they, they made moonshine and sold it, and that's how I wanted to do I wanted to carry on the family tradition. And he did, for both sides. He worked the land and distilled it for all it was worth. He also became a friendly fixture in the area, known to everyone down at the convenience store, where he'd often ride his horse to go grab a Coke. But eventually, the covert side of his mountain life would have its first brush with the authorities. In the 80s, after a few years of distilling, he sold a 52-gallon batch of whiskey to the wrong man, an undercover federal agent. Jeffrey ended up celebrating his 25th birthday in a prison cell. So that's the first time I was ever off the farm over here. Every morning they give me five months and 29 days. I stand there almost every morning of them five months and 29 days of watching the sun come up in the east. I stand there when it was dark and see the first light of it. Homesick as could ever be. I mean, homesick. This was also the beginning of the dissonance between how Jeffrey and his community viewed what could, in one sense, be labeled hospitality and how the law had a different view. I blame all of my stuff on uh, just being too friendly of a guy. Just anybody could ask me to do anything for him, and I would do it, you know. So I helped everybody I could all through life and woke up every day going to do a, knowing I was going to do a good deed for somebody. After the initial jail time, Jeffrey had plenty of earnest work to go after. Construction work for 14 years. And his family gifted him nearly a third of their farm. He eventually had 100 cows and a backhoe business, digging septic systems and foundations. All the dirt work around new houses. Done that for 16 years. And that's when Jeffrey started to fulfill a lifelong dream. Little by little, he would take the money he was earning and start to buy up patches of land around the mountain. And I mean, we was getting it really, really cheap. I just didn't want to see short mountains with houses all over it and all that because it was just a dream of mine ever since I was a kid. What Jeffrey knew in his gut, that this place is special, has been borne out. Extremely rare species have been found on his lands. 
and important water sources that flow down in every direction. We're in an area, there's no major roads. There's only one way in, one way out. This is Mark Vance, a wildlife officer with a lamb chop mustache who patrols this land for the state. He enforces the hunting and litter laws while himself basking in the land's beauty. At night, you're above all the lights and the spectacular star show above you. Morning, you get that early sunrise. You can see it here before you can see it down in the lowland valley. There's no other place that I know of here, you know, uh, there's no other place around that you can do that. And it's pretty neat to be able to have that here. He takes the moment to point out one of the best traits of this land. We can stand here if you want to listen for just a few seconds. We can hear, you know, multiple bird species around us right here. Just listen to the quietness of it. For those who want it, there's peace here. And Jeffrey was right in the middle of it. His backyard gradually slopes up and up and then becomes Short Mountain. So living here day to day, he'd work the farm and take on construction work. And he'd often put his tractors to good use in the community. He'd regularly help his neighbors. And for a church, an after-school program, even the volunteer fire department, he dug their septic systems for free. But on the side, he was keeping up his other operation, the one that would eventually take away so much of what he'd worked to amass. Jeffrey says he was mostly dealing marijuana to his farmhands. I would get him a pound of pot or something and then charge him $100 more than what I gave for it, just to help them out, let them work it out at $5 an hour, helping me with cows, bush hogging, whatever, and them keep up with their own time. So, like I say, all the marijuana dealing I'd done, I never made no money with that. I was doing them a favor, I thought, by, you know, helping them out like that. It wasn't for me to try to get rich or make money off of it or do nothing of the sort. In his telling, he was no major drug dealer and no danger, as prosecutors would later allege. I really didn't see no harm in uh, the moonshine or the marijuana as far as that, you know. And uh, like I say, I wouldn't have done nothing at all to hurt nobody in no way. Here's the kicker. Jeffrey knew he was breaking the law. But in his mind, he just reasoned that he was only so far out on a limb that maybe he would be fined or put on probation. He says the most marijuana he ever saw was 40 pounds. Certainly not nothing. But when the law did catch up with him, his punishment was way more than he would have ever expected. News 4 at 10, working for you. An exhaustive two-year investigation ended Wednesday with their largest pot bust to date. Prosecutors say a couple of local drug dealers were making millions growing and concealing massive amounts of marijuana. The 2,200 pounds the men are charged with plotting to sell across multiple states. When it all came down in 2006, it was revealed that investigators had been watching Jeffrey for a while. People they'd caught with drugs, they'd turned into undercover informants. They'd tapped Jeffrey's phone lines and put a motion-activated camera in a tree. Eventually, this led to a 20-count federal indictment against him and the farming friend who co-owned much of the land. All told, prosecutors said that the men made some $3 million over about 15 years, and that they funneled that into buying up all those pristine acres of land. In court, Jeffrey got hammered on almost all of the counts. Jeffrey knew he might lose some of his land, but when sentencing came, he had no idea how intense his punishment was about to be. We went up for sentencing, 
I was expecting to go home or hoping to go home. Jeffrey's partner in crime, a guy named Morris Roller, got his first. About 16 years and a fine of $10,000. I about fell over dead. I said, well, he's going to hang me, you know. And uh, whenever he called me up next, give me a 224 months and find me 15000 The math there is 18 years in prison. There's no good way to stand in his shoes, to know the difference between hoping to go home and ending up imprisoned like that. To me, I think it was just to take what we had, you know, easy pickings for the, for the, I guess, I, I don't know what you call it, the judicial system or what, however it is. Jeffrey appealed the case right away, and he kept fighting it over the years, even writing his own legal arguments from prison. He disputes some key parts of the case. One, he claims no involvement with a semi-truck full of pot that was found in town, which ended up extending his sentence. He also argues no actual marijuana plants ever grew on his hills. But none of his appeals went anywhere, and Jeffrey ended up stuck in prison down in Yazoo City, Mississippi. And there, it looked like his work to defend the wild nature of Short Mountain would also be utterly undone. After a drug bust like this, police typically sell off the land to make back money for their departments. By any means, it wasn't his anymore, and he was far from those green hills. Did you ever, while you were in, I mean, did you get used to it? Are there certain things you try to try to think about or try not to think about? Well, how do you, how do you deal with it? Uh, the way I dealt with it was uh, quit thinking about Short Mountain and all the things that I really loved and just deal with the inside and what was going on there. Jeffrey once told me that he spent every waking hour outside, unless it was dark or he was going to bed. For a man who loved the outdoors that much, losing his freedom was crushing. He refused to let anyone visit for seven years. I just didn't want to deal with when they left and uh, all that. I'm sort of like a runover dog. You know, they want to crawl up under old building and lay there till they get better, then come out and meet everybody. To pass the days, Jeffrey started painting by himself in his cell. As the nights ticked away, staring at his canvas, the world around him was changing. People had kids. Old friends passed away. And then the unthinkable happened. One of his sons was killed. Uh, I had three boys. Their mother left when they was three, seven, and eight. And uh, they sort of, I raised them, me and all the neighbors and all that. And uh, uh, while I was incarcerated, the youngest one and the oldest one was fighting and wound up with the oldest one dead. Cannon County man is accused of killing his own brother. 32-year-old Chad Young is charged with second-degree murder in two counts. Carl Young was shot while he was driving. He died after his car wrecked in a field. It wasn't one. It was the saddest day of my life when that happened. But things happened, so... When Jeffrey asked for a leave to attend his son's funeral, that request was denied. After the break, Jeffrey comes home to Short Mountain and sees that the land is no longer his own. 
But somehow, his way of life up to this point makes his re-entry story unlike many others. So, Neighbors is funded by Nashville Public Radio. That means your support for the station helps keep this show going. And you're not just supporting Neighbors. You're supporting amazing local reporting, other podcasts, and you could even get a trendy tote bag. If anyone gets that reference, please let me know, because we are kindred spirits. So here's what you do to support Neighbors. You go to WPLN.org, click on support, and when you contribute, there will be a box that says, Do you listen to any of our podcasts? The answer is yes. You click on the one that says Neighbors. Do it and get yourself a trendy tote bag. Seriously, email me if you know what that is. All right, back to the show. Jeffrey didn't know it at the time, but on the day he went to prison, a neighbor and one-time business partner started making calls about a little-known law. It allows drug seizure land to be conserved for wildlife. In August will be six years since, uh, you know, Jeff Young and Morris Rawler were uh, arrested. And at the time, uh, I don't think anyone knew what they owned or what it looked like or, you know, the species on it or the water that was involved with it. Neil Applebaum uh, kept on those phone calls for six years, culminating in the cutting of that big blue ribbon when the land changed into state hands. And he was there six more years later as Jeffrey came home. While Jeffrey had been gone, regular group hikes had come together with many wildlife experts, state officials, and the locals. And now, Jeffrey. Morning, everybody. Morning. Hi there. Jeffrey Young. Hi, I'm Tony Gonzalez. He's been home about a month, seeing the outcome of the land conservation idea he'd been hearing about, and which seems to sort of match what he'd been trying to do himself, protect the land from development and let people freely use it. It'd be easy to think that Jeffrey would have a grudge against the government or be a little wary of these folks, but he has no hard feelings. Plus, one of Jeffrey's brothers has actually become the local sheriff. Out hiking, Jeffrey soaks up his time with these fellow nature lovers. He's enthralled with how these kindred spirits look at the land and their scientific knowledge. I I love being with uh, these people like this that really knows the name of everything and all that. You know, I always just, Grandpa had a name for this and that, and that's all I know, you know, and... uh, We go all over the mountain. It's so grand that I often stop and fall behind the group a little bit. And I can see why Jeffrey and others feel so strongly about this place. How it could convince the government to protect it rather than sell it off. As a reporter, I'd gone out looking for some ways to showcase what makes Short Mountain so special. And it was like finding one diamond after another. At one point, we hiked down behind a waterfall. And we were looking at stone inscriptions in the rock wall from the 1800s. And then Mark Vance, the wildlife agent, calls out with another gem. I got something. Pinched gently in his fingers is a little brownish maroon crayfish. Group crowds around so that David Withers, an expert zoologist, can get a look. Now what's your? Yeah, that's him. The one and only. That's Short Mountain Crayfish. Yep. When you look at these places, it's it's not about one organism, not about two. It's about everything on mass, and the the fact that you have one or two, we'll say, rare things, should give you a hint that there's going to be something else. Although the land remains the same magical place he grew up in, not everything has fared so well. Since coming home, Jeffrey's been taking stock of what he left behind. Twelve years ago, his bulldozer was brand new. Now it's been borrowed and abused. Its transmission is shot. His fence line is in disrepair. 
And for the first time in his life, he's not caring for a single cow. But Jeffrey does still have his home, along with about a thousand acres. This is a big leg up on what most ex-cons have when they re-enter society. And most of his property borders the land he lost to the government, where he and everyone else are still free to roam. I still love the land and uh, still got quite a bit. And uh, like I say, it's a, I don't know if you'd say a legacy. I really don't know what legacy means, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, I still feel like I'm a part of it, even though I don't own it. What's so interesting about Jeffrey's way of life is that it's helped him to avoid a lot of the problems that felons re-entering society and the workforce would normally encounter. Because he's self-employed, he doesn't have to look for a job. Who would hire him to dig their septic tank, you might wonder? Well, nearly everyone that he's ever met. Back during his trial, a bunch of his neighbors had written letters to the judge asking for leniency. There were 52 of these letters, something his lawyer had never seen before. He said, I've had letters wrote from everybody, political deals and all that, but he said, I never had just down-to-heart people write letters and uh, like they wrote for you. Jeffrey's next-door neighbor, a retired Air Force Master Sergeant and church deacon, had called Jeffrey, quote, without a doubt, the best kind of neighbor any person could have, with a big heart who could be a friend to anyone. I never know no difference, you know. I mean, I grew up around here, and uh, like I say, people help everybody. It ain't just me doing something good for somebody. Just about anybody you run across is the same way, you know, pretty much. Short Mountain's a nice place. So as far as coming home, the people and the land here may be more hospitable than most. Jeffrey tells me a couple weeks later that his bulldozer is almost ready to go. It sounds like you are making a little progress on on your tractors and your equipment. Do you have have any kind of work work that you've been doing or on the horizon? I mean, I've been right back where I was at, you know, putting in safety systems, digging house footers, doing all the dirt work around houses, you know I mean? I still know everybody. Everybody still knows me. And, you know, it's uh, plenty of work, more than I can do. But now I got a business license and all that. You know, I never had that before. There was a moment while hiking when a storm rolled in. So we ducked into Jeffrey's old barn on the property the one owned by the state now, where they'd done their land ceremony. It was obviously bittersweet, because he remembers putting this barn up with some friends. They'd cut sassafras trees for the planks. So we cut them down and built us a barn here, figured it would last forever, you know. There's nothing saying it won't last. It just won't be Jeffrey's. And that's what he's still coming to terms with. He'd lived the way he thought he should, but got in big trouble for it lost years of his life and acres of his land. Yet to this day, those lessons from his grandparents from way back, they're still with him. How to work hard, how to live off the land, and how to be at peace with everyone around him. I lost it. I still love it. I'm glad it's still there. And uh, and uh, what's happened to it is, is I, I'm glad that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's how it wound up. So, so in some ways... Right. That hasn't really changed. In some ways, that really hadn't changed. That part hadn't. I mean, I ain't the owner of it. One good thing, I don't have to pay taxes on it. You know, I mean. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's a good thing. And there won't be houses all over. That's a good thing. So Short Mountain, at least part of it, is going to stay pretty much like it's always been, hopefully in my lifetime anyway. Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio and produced by me, Jacob Lewis. This story today was reported by Tony Gonzalez, edited by me, Mac Linebaugh, and Anita Bug. The news segments heard in the story were provided by Nashville's WSMV and the program Wild Side TV. Also thanks to the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency for recordings from the land dedication. Music in this episode is by Poddington Bear, Cud Eastbound, and this song I recorded on my phone the other night at an outdoor performance by Jason Goforth and Tyler Summers. Thanks so much for helping us spread the word about the show. I depend on you and your love for this thing to keep it going and growing, so thanks. One way you can help us is by leaving a rating or review in your podcast app. Not all podcast apps have this, but yours just might. So just click on some stars, rate it, tell me what you think, and review. That'd be great. As always, I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you, just get to know your neighbors. Come on. Come on. You can do it. <laughs>